everyone, welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp. I am here with CSO senior writer J.M. Porup, and today we're talking about when it's important to have end-to-end -end encryption for video conferencing. Stick around. All right, Jam, thank you so much for calling in and chatting with me about this. I feel like we've been hearing a lot about this as we all have been relying on video conferencing much more heavily. And we're now hearing that a lot of video conferencing apps aren't actually encrypted end-to-end. -end. So before we talk about you know, why that's actually important, can you tell me a little bit about what end-to-end -end encryption actually means, especially in regards to a video conferencing software? Sure, so end-to-end uh, -end encryption means that a communication um, a, a phone call, a video conference, um, a text message uh, can only be read by the person sending it and the person receiving it. Um, as the, uh, the opposite of end-to-end -end encryption would be um, um, transport level encryption where um, a message or a video is encrypted from, uh, like right now for this Zoom call we're having, um, this video conference is recorded from my laptop to Zoom server it's decrypted on Zoom server, so Zoom can see what we're doing if they wish to. Uh, then Zoom re-encrypts that and sends it to you and so forth and so on. So it's end-to-server encrypted, but not end-to-end -end encrypted. So I think a lot of our viewers now would be wondering when it would be appropriate to explore an end-to-end -end encrypted option since like you said, it's really not available on every platform. Um, and what we will do, of course, is link your article, Jam, below uh, that you wrote for CSO that sort of details the security benefits of or security features of a variety of popular video conferencing apps. But I do want to talk about just that. When is it appropriate and when is it not appropriate to have to, as, as a user, be on a video call that is or is not end-to-end -end encrypted. I guess, what should users' expectations of privacy be in a video conferencing software, using a video conferencing software that isn't end-to-end -end encrypted? Right, no, that, 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 that's, uh, oh, for, for, for if it's not encrypted. Well, so, I mean, it very much depends on, on the use case. Um, uh, let's say that you are running a virtual conference, which we're seeing more and more these days, you know, virtual conferences of 500, 1,000, 5,000 people online where, you know, a handful of speakers are speaking to a large audience. You know, if you are a panelist of four panelists on the stage at an, a real life conference and there's 5,000 people in the audience, your expectation of privacy is very different than if you're talking to your dying grandmother or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your children or what have you. You know, there's very different expectations of privacy. So, um, you know, how important is end-to-end -end encryption in a, you know, a webinar with 5,000 people in it? You, you know, probably not very because your expectation of having a private conversation is close to zero. Uh, whereas if you are, say, in a classroom setting, we've seen a lot of learn from home. We see a lot of schools using Zoom or Google Meet. If you're in a room of 20 to 30 students where you want to have a free and frank intellectual discussion without the fear that someone could be, you know, um, spying on the class to see who has, you know, some sort of dissenting opinion or, or what have you. And, and in, a, in a situation where one-to-one -one interaction among all the students is both reasonable and encouraged, um, then that begins to become, you know, um, a serious question. You know, should we have end-to-end encryption for video conferencing for, for schools? And I, I would certainly argue yes. 
uh, that is certainly a case uh, where student privacy and, and the freedom to intellectually debate and explore new ideas deserves the protection of end and encryption. And certainly for something sensitive like a board meeting, like if you have 15 members of the board meeting virtually to discuss you know, strategy during these very difficult times, that again, that goes to business confidentiality and even trade secrets. You know, do you want to risk, uh, you know, Zoom or, uh, uh, you know, uh, access to Zoom servers by a hacker, uh, perhaps a foreign nation state or the U.S. government, uh, you know, violating that confidentiality? That's a good point. I think it also is interesting to consider times where, in fact, it could be either required by law or compliance methods to have a meeting or a video meeting that is not encrypted because it needs to be public information. Is there a case for that? Well, there are certainly cases where um, highly regulated industries or government employees um, must maintain records of their emails and, and meeting notes and what have you, for instance, complying with FOIA, the Freedom of, of Information Act, you know, as, a, as journalists, you know, and as the public, we have a right to FOIA government agencies and say, you know, I would like to see copies of the emails by the director surrounding uh, a particular question of the day. We don't need to give an example. And in that case, you know, government employees must keep records of their emails for a certain period of time. They must keep meeting notes, you know, what was discussed at that, at that meeting, you know. This is important to government accountability and transparency. Likewise, in many regulated industries, there are requirements to keep those kinds of records for e-discovery should there be a government audit of some kind. Um, now, uh, in the past, uh, for meetings, that has typically revolved around uh, a, a secretary of the meeting taking those meeting notes, hopefully in an honest and, and, and transparent manner, both for their own uh, historical records as well as to comply with any relevant government regulation. Um, now, does, does a video recording of every such meeting, um, is that required to, to, to meet that compliance threshold? I mean, I'm not a lawyer. That seems like a very high threshold to meet. I mean, historically, there was no requirement to record actual in-person meetings, but there was a requirement to take good, honest, thorough meeting notes and, and keep those records should someone require them. So, you know, is there a compliance burden to keep video recordings? Um, I, I w I'm not a lawyer, but I would suspect that's not the case, no. Sure. It really does seem like there's a, a real spectrum of options and use cases for whatever you need to be doing. In some cases, it's obviously appropriate to, like you mentioned, I'm in a meeting, I'm in a webinar with 5,000 people. My expectation of privacy is very low. There isn't a huge need to expect that all of this information is going to remain private, in which case something that isn't encrypted end-to-end -end could be appropriate. But I am wondering it, what any other sort of best practices are. I want to make sure our viewers are aware of what exactly they're getting into if something is not encrypted end-to-end -end, so they can make that judgment for themselves, whether they want to explore options that are encrypted end-to-end, -end, which they can explore in your article that we'll link below. Fair enough. Well, there's really two points here. One is what should an individual user or what should an enterprise um, do to select the appropriate technology for them. 
But there's also the collective action problem here in terms of, you know, right now we are in, in under stay-at-home orders during, during the, the, this COVID pandemic we're living under. And, 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 you know, the odds of any individual person, especially a, a younger person with no pre-existing conditions, becoming seriously ill is not impossible, but it is extremely low. But, but we are doing this to protect um, other members of, us, of our society who may not be, be so fortunate. Um, and, and so, you know, it may be that your particular use case does not require end-to-end encryption, but in terms of the digital pandemic we are also facing simultaneously in terms of digital security, uh, you know, end-to-end encryption protects everybody, even those who may not necessarily have, you know, um, a specific need for it. Um, now, in terms of, you know, what best practices there are for individual users or for enterprises. Um, for, for both, if, if we are talking about a one-to-one video conferencing solution, just two people on the call, like hands down, use Signal. Uh, from Open Whisper, Open Whisper Systems, it's been out for, for five years. I use it extensively. Um, in, in terms of, you know, a best practice, hands down, not even debatable. You know, it, this, is, this is your go-to. If you're in a situation with more than 50 or 100 people, then usability becomes far more important than encryption or security. You know, it's, it's the conference, it, it's the, uh, the large webinar situation we discussed earlier. You know, end-to-end encryption then becomes, you know, it's nice to have. Um, there is a serious engineering challenge, which I won't get into the weeds, but once you get over a couple dozen participants, it becomes very difficult to, uh, to solve that mathematical challenge. So for, for, you know, over 50 people, you know, end-to-end encryption is not so important because it is a, often a one-to-many broadcast sort of situation. It's that very difficult um, range between like 3 and 50 where uh, there are not yet great solutions here, where trade-offs really have to be made. Um, and, it, it, you know, if you are discussing sensitive uh customer business. If, if you're discussing anything sensitive, then you know, it's paramount that you think very carefully about how, what, what communications channels you're using to do that. Are you discussing trade secrets? Are you discussing you know, just personal matters that are really nobody else's business but your own? Maybe it's a family reunion or maybe it's, maybe it's a wake. You know, people are dying. Maybe you want to remember someone in a private manner. How do you do that in, in a way that respects, you know, the person who's passed? You know, the, the, these become very tricky, uh, you know, problems to solve in the situation we're in right now. And right. Uh, Zoom is optimized for usability, but it is not optimized for security at this moment in time. Right. I think it is, you do make a great point that if it's, the, there's really no harm for on the user end to have something that's encrypted end to end. And I'm wondering, as we are all using video conferencing software more, and I think it's pretty widely suspected that at, even after we're all permitted to go back to work, these you know collaboration habits won't die. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see how, when or when rather, we can expect to see end-to-end -end encryption deployed in some software. Do you think it's possible that with um, perhaps an outcry for end-to-end -end encryption that we'll see it in some software? Well, uh, it, you know, there has been efforts by companies that value privacy to deploy 
strong end-to-end -end encryption that have um, been met with strong resistance from the U.S. government. For instance, there was a, a huge scoop by Reuters a couple months ago that uh, Apple had a, a plan called Project Plessio that would have deployed zero-knowledge end-to-end uh, uh, encrypted iCloud backups so that Apple would have zero access to backups and they could say in good faith uh, in response to a warrant, we can't help you, we can't decrypt it. And uh, there is widespread speculation that uh, under FBI pressure, the uh, Apple declined to build that system. Now, we are in an interesting circumstance here with Zoom because Zoom is not a surveillance capitalist business. They, they sell software, people pay to use Zoom. Enterprises pay to use Zoom and they, they pay you know a substantial amount of money for it. So, so Zoom is, is in a position to uh, give customers what they want, similar to Apple. And there is a huge backlash right now to against Zoom's previous uh, false advertising. And what's more, Zoom has hired some of the world's leading uh, security experts and cryptographers to fix it. So, um, and I, I know some of those people personally, and they care deeply about user privacy and security. And they, they care deeply about properly implemented end-to-end -end cryptography. And, you know, I, I have hopes tempered by experience, but hopes that Zoom might actually build end-to-end -end encryption into their software th at, at this point. I mean, it's too early to say, you know, I, I'm not you know, placing any bets, but um, watch this space. Sure. Well, thank you so much, JM, for chatting with me. I think this is probably on the front of mind for a lot of people, no matter who you are, whether, you know, just a, a you know, layperson Zoom user all the way up to, you know, a member of a board that's really relying on video conferencing softwares, not only Zoom, a lot more heavily now. So this is really great info. And like I've said about 5,000 times during this entire episode, we will link your CS article down below. So you just can explore and viewers can explore a real in-depth comparison um, about each video chat feature, security features. So yeah, thanks so much, Jam, for calling in. It's always a pleasure, Juliet. Thanks for having me. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you like this video, be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. If you have any questions or comments about end-to-end -end encryption, especially in regards to video calls, please leave them below. If you have any questions that I can't answer, I'll shoot them to JM and we'll get back to you. Thanks so much for watching once again, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.